Thank you for joining us here at C3 Edinburgh. We are all about authentic community, unlocked creativity, and the naturally supernatural life in Jesus' name. We are praying that this message will bless you and meet you right where you're at today. For more information about C3 Edinburgh, check us out online at www.c3edinburgh.com. right into this. We're talking about cultural change. So we've, we're going through the book of Exodus, and that's, and that's kind of the passage that we've got for this, this month. And so I, as briefly as possible, I want to kind of give you the context of Moses and the context of the Exodus and the Israelites coming out of Egypt. So hopefully I'll do this in two minutes. So we need to remember that so back, so we've got J- uh, Joseph was the son of Jacob, okay? So Jacob, so we've got have Abraham, we've got Isaac, we've got Jacob, and they, they occupied the, they were in the promised land, they were in Canaan. And a famine, um, so well, what is that, back up. So they're in, they're in Canaan, and Joseph's brothers decide to sell him to the Egyptians, right? They sell, sell him as a slave, he goes off to Egypt, and there he is, Right? And then he's in prison. He has a dream. In fact, he's in, a, he's in prison. The Pharaoh has a dream about seven fat cows, seven thin cows, seven skinny sheaves of wheat, and um, seven full sheaves of wheat, all right? So basically, there's going to be a famine. Famine, there's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, all right? So you know the rest of the story. Well, maybe you don't, so this is why I'm telling you it. So what happens is... Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to get some food, right? So ultimately, the whole family gets brought to Egypt. The whole family stays in Egypt. They get sent to Goshen, or how Goshen, how you pronounce it, which was the best part of the country, but it's where the the shepherds live. And that's where they settle, all right? And this is the amazing thing. So Joseph lives for 110 so 100, yeah, 110 years. He's 30 years when he goes into Egypt. He lives for 110 years. And the Israelites stay in Israel for 430 years. 430 years. They leave Canaan to get some food because of a famine and end up in Egypt for 430 years. Now, do you think that that's going to have a little bit of a cultural influence on you? Yes. So much so that God has to do something pretty radical to get it out of them. Now, he hears what's, he hears what's going on, and he says, I'm going to redeem my people, and I'm going to take them out of Israel. And he appoints Moses. So Moses, at the age of 40, kills a slave, goes, runs away, goes off into the wilderness for 40 years, and comes back. All right? But God wants to bring the Israelites into the promised land. Okay? So that's kind of the context. Now, 430 years is a lot of time. And so, coincidentally, where we are right now, so if, little ditty, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? That's about 427 years ago. Long, 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 long time, okay? So 40, 430 years is a long time for a culture to influence the people of Israel, to make, put their mark on them. The people had obviously forgotten who they were. They'd forgotten what the promise was. They were supposed, forgotten where they were supposed to be and what God had actually, 
you know, what God had said for them. They, they were settled in, in a land which was, yeah, it provided everything they needed, but it wasn't where God wanted them to be. It wasn't the promised land. It was a fair land, but it wasn't the promised land. And the problem with, with culture is that once, as we're living in something, we, we fail often to realize it, it, it becomes normal to us. You know, we, we're a product of our culture. We're a product of, of, of the countries we live in. We're a product of the families that we were raised in. We're, and th- this is the interesting thing. We don't actually realize how much we have been, been impacted by the culture in which we live in until we come up against another culture or are exposed to something else. Now, we live in what we consider a multicultural society, and we, we define that by you know, different races, different colors, different religions. But the reality is we're not that multicultural because we move in our little circles, in our own little sort of monocultures. And when we bounce off these other cultures, it feels uncomfortable. It's, it's a little bit strange. And in fact, if anything, this, this horrific... Uh, thing that's happened in Christchurch is but the worst of the worst of what can happen when two cultures come up against each other. But we live in these little cultures. So we have these multicultures, we have monocultures, we have subcultures, we have countercultures, all right? But each of them, the, 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 the characteristics of all of them is they have a set of rules and codes and traditions and whatever else that define how we interact with one another, how we live, how we pretty much do everything in our life, okay? We lived cross-culturally. We lived in a different culture for a number of, in fact, we lived in a number of different cultures, but back up. Okay, who's, who here has seen my big fat Greek nightmare? No, wedding. <laughs> All right. Okay. The reason why I say that is because my mother is Greek, and that's that is a part of my culture. Now, on the other side, my father is Scottish, all right? So that's another part of my culture. Now, in here, we've got people from England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Yesterday, we had rugby, yeah? All right, so really, really good. So who in here is Scottish? Who in here is Welsh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. Who in here is English? All right, who in here is is Scottish? We've got some Scots here, okay. Irish, yes, yeah, not surprised you're keeping your hand down there, okay? <laughs> but the point is that we all, we all identify with something, all right? We all identify with something, and uh, it, it makes a mark on us. So anyway, so I'm just going to do a very, very brief blitz through history of um, the Israelites. Okay, 430 years in Israel. God comes to bring about a change. It's a ra- in, e- in Egypt, radical change. Timing is absolutely incredible. We read in Exodus chapter 2, it goes, this month will be for you the first month of the first year. He literally resets their historical clock in Exodus chapter 12. Resets the clock. It says, on the 10th day of this month, I want you to take a lamb, and on the 14th day of this month, you're going to kill it. All right? And for the next seven days after that, you are going to remove all the yeast from your house. There's not going to, if any yeast is found in your house, you will be removed from the community. Okay, I want you to hold that thought for a second. 
When the yeast is mentioned in the, in the, in the Bible, it's not actually in any positive way ever, apart from once, where Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and the kingdom of heaven is like yeast, where, you, where it has the ability to literally change with something so small, it can radically change everything that it comes into contact with. And that's kind of where we're going with this, all right? The whole point of culture change, the whole point of God changing the culture of Israel, and we, we look at the Old Testament and we see the, the, the patterns that it, it, that it illustrates for the, for, the new, for the New Testament and the new way of living, is because... God has something phenomenal to do through, through this time. The, we are the yeast which affect this culture. Fundamentally, that's where I'm going with this. So he says to the Israelites, on the 10th day, take the lamb. On the 14th day, you're going to kill the lamb. And for the next seven days, you're going to remove the, the yeast from Israel, from your midst. Okay. They take the lamb, they sacrifice it, and they leave Israel 430 years to the very day, okay? So God resets the clock, and 430 years to the day, they leave Israel. And it says in Exodus chapter 12, 34, they took the dough before the yeast was added. They left Israel without yeast, Okay? Now, when I, when I read that, I thought, what does that mean? When we think about the impact that yeast has in a lump of bread, the Im, it, it, has, it literally transforms it. There was absolutely no place for the yeast of Egypt to be in the community of Israel. None whatsoever. The culture change that God wants is literally to remove all of the, of the DNA of Egypt from the Israelites and create something which is far greater, something which is transformative, absolutely transformative. The problem was, and we know the story, they get into, Israel, they get into, the, in, into the wilderness and they're like going, well, it was way better than we had food there, we had uh, shelter there, we, we didn't lack for anything. Wait a second. If you read Exodus chapter 1, it talks about how Pharaoh, he looked at these people, he made life miserable. He made it bitter. He made it absolutely oppressive to the point where how could they were virtually buckling under the weight of slavery. God needed to literally transform them and remove all of Egypt out of them in order for him to accomplish his, his purposes through them and in them. Now, we read in Colossians chapter 2, I think it is verse 17, that these things are a shadow, but the substance is in Christ, all right? So what it means is that we, we, we get something from these stories, we get the historical accounts, but there's a, tr there's a truth in there which is fulfilled through Christ.
But they were one year. Let's see, where are we going? We've got so much I need just to cut out of this. It's awful. God takes them out of Egypt. They're, short, they're shortly into, into, the, into the desert. They start grumbling. But what does he do? He introduces a new code of living. I need to sort of define what culture is because, as I said before, we don't realize to what extent we've actually been influenced by it. Culture is the totality of socially transmitted behavior patterns. It's arts, beliefs, institutions, and other products of human work and thought. It's the totality of socially transmitted behavior patterns, arts, beliefs, institutions, and products of human work and thought. God brings them out into the, into the wilderness, and he brings them a new law. He brings them a new code. If we read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, it's a new way of living. I want to skip out. I'll just put this verse up. I've got so little time. The challenge that we have as believers is letting go of our identity and finding our identity in Christ. I mean, it's remarkable. Last week, we had a couple of people who were, who were baptized, who literally, they identified with Christ and his death and burial. They put to death their former, their former self. And this is the difficult part. Because we hold on to we hold on to our identity so strongly. We 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 want to be individual. We want to be unique. We want to be special. We want to be recognized for our difference from those around us. And as the verse, I think Lisa mentioned this this morning, that is the is the passage for, um, or is the theme of the conference in in Amsterdam. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. The only thing that has the ability to change culture or change the culture in which we live is the Word of God. But if there's any lesson to be learned from Exodus, it is the Word of God added to faith. The reason why the Israelites did not, well, the, the half of them did not make it into the promised land was because the word that they heard was not mixed with faith. Simple as that. The transformative power of the word of God is only there when it's mixed by faith. In other words, you have to do something with it. Now, the problem is, if we don't read it, if we don't know it, and we do not allow it to transform our lives, if we don't mix it with faith, it is going to have absolutely no effect whatsoever. And the challenge is in, in, in the cultures with, in which we live is that we don't fully understand or fully embrace what God has for us in his word. And many, most cultures do this. You know, we, we, we've been formed and we've been shaped by the cultures in which we live, and we kind of tag on the bits that we like, you know. It's like we read the word, yeah, I like that, slap that on. A little bit, I'm a little bit more... Christian than I was before. I'm not as bad as I was. I'm not as 
heathen as I was before, a little bit more Christian than I was before, right? But the transformative power of, of, of the Word should change us from one kind of human being into the next kind of human being. Dead, alive, new creation, transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. No longer citizens of this earth, now citizens of heaven. The vocabulary that we've been talking, you know, using this morning is one of fatherhood of God, family, a family of faith. We are family. We talk about brothers and we talk about sisters in, in the New Testament. And if there's any culture which is really, really difficult to live in, it's the, it's the culture of family. <laughs> yeah? If you really want to know what someone's like, yeah, don't come to my house. <laughs> yeah, if you, want, if you really, really want to see what someone is like, see them in their family. That, that is where all inhibitions are removed. That, that is where you truly are yourself. Ask my wife, all right? Um, coming back to the Greek bit, my, as I said, my mother's Greek. The amount of times we go and visit, when we visit my mum, Vicky will come downstairs like, will you stop arguing? What the heck is going on? Because why are you shouting at each other? You know, you know what, what's, what's he done? I, I, I haven't done anything, all right? I haven't done anything. We're just having a conversation. We're probably talking about cooking, actually. So I, I actually say to Vicky, do not allow me to be in the kitchen alone with my mother, Please, all right, just don't, don't let it happen, <laughs> all right? Just do not allow me to be alone with my mother, <laughs> okay? But the point being is this, that we are a family. We are, we are a family, and we, we should be transparent with one another. We should be, there's, in fact, there's, I think there's 58 one another's in the New Testament, now, some duplication there, so there might be like something like 42 or 46. But there's, what, there's, about fi- there's 58 one another's in the New Testament. And this is the pattern, and this, this is the, the new law that, that we have been given. The old law's gone. The Ten Commandments aren't there anymore in terms of the you know, four towards God and six towards one another. But as Jesus said, they can be summed up in there, as, as this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And when we think about what neighbor, I mean, who is our neighbor? Is it, uh, is it those who are in the faith with us? Or is it what Jesus said, and let's just transform it to today, is it the Muslim on the street? Because the Samaritan, all right, of Jesus' time is the Muslim of today in many ways. All right? So who, who is our neighbor? Who, who are we supposed to love? Who is the transformative power of the gospel supposed to impact? That's the reality. It's coming back to this yeast. How do we impact the society and how do we impact the culture in which we live? Jesus said this, They will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. The problem is we... We don't quite go as far as that. We, we, we think we're living in community. We think we're living in family, but we haven't yet fully experienced the fullness of what God actually has for us. And the reason being is because it's hugely risky. 
There's different models of community and how to achieve community. There's, you know, was it the forming, no, storming, forming, or whatever it is. Yeah, how, yeah, that one. There's other ones which, um, slightly different. I actually prefer this one. I won't give you the background to it, but pseudo-community, chaos, emptying, and community. Problem with pseudo-community is it feels like community, but it's not community. There's no vulnerability. There's a social response to it. You know, we kind of normalize everything. It's like, oh, got to keep, got to keep this place safe. We've got to keep this, you know, let's keep everything under the carpet, or let's keep put oil in the water. We used to talk about this, you know, in teams that we had. Oh, we even talk about this relationally. The difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking. Peacekeeping smooths over things. Peacemaking is confrontational. And it's really uncomfortable. If you have an issue with your brother, go to your brother. Talk to him. All right? Peacemaking is really hard. Okay? Peacekeeping is easy in some ways. Pseudo-community, it's safe. There's some positives in it. There's often a trust and respect. But if you're around someone long enough, then what you tend to get is you move into a place of chaos, pushback. The longer I'm around you, actually, I don't like your opinions. The longer I'm around you, I start to form judgments against what you're saying. The things which, the vulnerabilities that you express to me, you know what? I think I can fix that. I've got an opinion on that. I can heal that, not for your benefit necessarily, but because I don't want to have to deal with that. If you could just get that fixed, then life would be so much easier for me. <laughs> right? Another characteristic, of, another characteristic of the chaos is, is activity. It's like, okay, we, we, we're now in proximity with one another. We're li- now living with one another. We've got to kind of figure out how do, how do we do this together. It's uncomfortable. So I'm going to go over here and do my thing and look as if I'm busy. And I'm going to let you do your thing over there and let you be, look as if you're busy as well. But in the midst of this, we're not actually achieving a lot here. But it's this, it looks like activity. It looks good, but it's not. Nothing's happening. Then what happens next? There's this emptying. We, we come to this place where the sort of the buzz kind of dies down. The activity is no longer fulfilling. And we, we realize, actually, you know what? We have to do life with these people who, are, who I find myself with. And this is where vulnerability emerges. We start listening to the story and we realize, goodness me, they've got something to share with me. They've got, they've got they, they're different. And you know what? Their differences aren't bad. The differences actually make me uncomfortable because the, what is different about them has an impact on me. And all of a sudden, my interactions become transformative. The things which I thought were, the things which were normal to me, I now start to open up to a different point of view. We have a shared consciousness and we, then we move out of that place of emptying where no longer our ego is there, but we move to a place of community where we feel at peace with one another, we feel at ease with one another, we are accepting of our differences, and maybe we even celebrate it with joy. 
It's a feeling of wholeness, of oneness, of knowing acceptance for who we are, faults and all. Differences are appreciated, even honored. People seem to know it is just enough to be human and to experience a true feeling of what love may mean. The reason God wants to transform us from who we were into something new is because He has a plan for this earth. He has a plan for the, the world in which we live, where love is the transformation, transformational power. We sing it, we talk about it, but I don't know how many times we've, we've said it today. But it's our love for one another and it's our love for our community that, that makes it such a huge, huge difference. It's the love of God that we bring to people that impacts them. It's that acceptance, it's that forgiveness, it's that coming alongside, it's that mourning with those who mourn, laughing with those who, who, who laugh. It's sharing, sharing our life to such a degree that when people go through things, we can celebrate it, that we can grieve even. It's coming alongside is the transformational power of the gospel where Christ is brought into the midst of something. We went... We, we've lived overseas for many, many years. And the first two years of it were probably the most transformational time of our life, actually, where we moved to Thailand. We'd just come out of um, running a Bible school in Wales, actually. And that was a precious community. We have friends here from there uh, today, even. But we got out into Thailand, got out into Southeast Asia, and we realized that we were seeing aspects of community which we hadn't even experienced in church. The closeness, this intimacy, the family, a reliance on one another. And then we moved to a, a Muslim country where, again, community was being living, lived out in front of us to a, to a far deeper degree than we'd ever experienced in many Christian circles. What message are we bringing? If we're bringing the gospel into a different culture, what is the, what is the essence of the gospel? What, what is the yeast of the gospel? What is the transformational power of the gospel? Because many of the things which we try to imprint on other cultures are not the gospel. We can translate our worship songs from... Australian, I'm just using Hillsong as an example. The reason, the reason why I say that is because I've been exposed to Chinese churches and I've been exposed to Indian churches that I, and they're singing English Australian songs in their language. We've imprinted things on that culture which they're not Christian any more than a donut's Christian. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> maybe I'm hungry. Or maybe I'm sorry. Is there any donuts in the back? There's no donuts in the back. Maybe it's donut time. That's maybe what the Holy Spirit, yeah. But the point being is that, the point being is that what God wanted removed from the Israelites was every single infecting piece of yeast which would permeate their culture. He didn't want, there was no room for that in what he wanted for his future. No room for it whatsoever. 
What he wants for us to be now is transformed. He wants us to be new, renewed. The only way that's going to happen is by the renewing of our minds. It's, it's, it's going to be through the Word of God. It's the Word of God as we start to practice it in our lives, as we start to apply it in our lives, as we start to wrestle with it with one another, that we start to see the, transforma- see the transformation. A whole generation died in the wilderness, a whole generation. Everybody who was 20 years and younger when the spies came back lived. Everyone who was 20 years and older wiped out. It took them 40 years. That's, it kind of tells us what God's, he, got, he wants no part of that old way in his new land. No part of it. No part of it at all. You see, we, we, we read the Old Testament, we see judgment. We read the New Testament, we see grace, where God doesn't just drop the hammer overnight. doesn't mean he's any less happy with what he sees. No, judgment's been... Is that donuts? No. <laughs> judgment's been put for, a separate, for another time. But as we go out into our communities and as we interact with one another and as we show love and as we engage in ways which are uncomfortable, we start to affect change. I haven't got much time left. It was interesting, you know, going back to the, you know, where we lived for for 12 years, there was the appearance of a closeness and an intimacy and strong families and strong relationships. But the reality was that much of it was superficial. And people would come to us and people would share their most deep secrets with us and they would tell us what was going on in their lives. Why? Because they trusted us. Because we were loving. We were forgiving. We gave, we showed the same grace which God shows. We were there not judging them. And this is where we can come alongside people in our workplaces in our colleges, where we don't judge them, we come alongside and we show love to them. As I said, you know, trying to do some message like this in 30 minutes is virtually impossible. I guess the challenge today is to reflect on what is it of our old self that we're still holding on to. What is it of our old way of thinking that, we're, that is still part of us? We, we, you, no one knows you like you know yourself. My wife tells me, goes, oh, you're a wonderful person. No, I'm not. I'm not a wonderful person. I'm a horrible person. I know, I know what I'm like. I'm, I am not a nice person. <laughs> and I think in all honesty, all of us can say that we're not, we're not nice people. Except by the grace of God. If it, wasn't for, if it wasn't for God in my life, and it wasn't for the fact that Jesus died, and thank you, and God looks at him as the acceptable sacrifice, not me. Nothing I can bring to the altar, nothing I can bring into the presence of God is, is going to be good enough. I enter his presence through faith in Jesus. Simple as that. My faith, my faith is in, in that sacrifice that that, that was enough. And because Jesus was enough, 
I'm enough. That, that is it. So the question is, how much of our old self are we still hanging on to? Every single one of the Israelites who went through the desert had to cross the Jordan, had to go through the Jordan, cross a line to the other side. And I guess my question today for you is this, like I said before, what have you still got from your old life that you need to let go of? And are you prepared to cross that line into what God has for you. I want you to just bow your heads if you would.